The epistle reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 25, and this is the sermon text. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? since worshipers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He who does away with the first order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, here we are in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Um... We'll spend two weeks in chapter 10 and then uh, begin the great chapter on faith, uh, chapter 11. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for these words. Thank you for an opportunity every week that we have to gather together. To gather in freedom, not in fear of persecution, but we have the opportunity to get up and come and be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for that. I pray that you would use this time of worship, prayer, singing, um, the preaching of the word, 
and the sacraments to draw us near to you. Lord, draw our hearts to you and unite us as one in your body. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, President John F. Kennedy began his 1961 inaugural address. You may be very familiar with that, at least one quote in there, but he began this, this address in this way. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Now, you may know this, this speech for his famous quote that, where he says, and so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you could do for your country. But he follows that, that, that line right there with this, my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Freedom is really a, a, a key theme throughout our history, isn't it? Through American history, it, there, there are so many presidential speeches that are filled with the word freedom, the theme freedom, political speeches all about. It's one of our core values of America, of our American culture, you may say. It's sung in popular songs, especially country music. You'll hear a lot of songs about freedom. But when talking about freedom, one can ask, what kind of freedom are you talking about? We use this word freedom and, and, and toss it around as if everybody understands it in the same way and everybody experiences it in the same way, but that's not exactly true. Because for generations, we've had people in our country that have not experienced freedom in the same way I might have or you might have. Perhaps you're one of those that has not experienced freedom in the same way as others. Some have not been very free at all. You see, no government really, the problem is no, no government can provide, can grant everyone ultimate freedom. Because one person's idea of freedom will interfere with the rights or privileges of somebody else's. It's just the nature of, of how freedom goes. Not to mention that, but freedom, different freedoms have different objectives. Think about governments like a, an anarchist government would have a different idea, a different objective for their freedom than would a democracy. A democracy would want freedom under a central government, whereas an anarchist government would want a, a no central government. They would want freedom from a central government in order to have a bottom-up type of, of society. But seeking freedom is understandable. We're all seeking freedom. We're all seeking freedom, and, and to, to be seeking freedom, we're seeking freedom from something. It acknowledges that there is an opposing force from which one needs to be free. One of the more common oppressing forces in our history has been slavery. But there are other things, state oppression, financial debt in our personal lives, financial debt in our government and other countries throughout our world, physical limitations, freedom from disease, freedom from a crippling mental illness or addiction or a guilty conscience, or an over-oppressive sin. So how, feel, how free do you feel this morning? What kind of freedom are you longing for this morning? And what does that freedom look like for you? Now, as we continue on in Hebrews here, we see that the Hebrew Christians, 
whole purpose for this, this epistle being written was the, the Hebrew Christians were not feeling very free. They were experiencing oppression. And they were anticipating a persecution, probably, most likely, from the Emperor Nero. They wanted to be free from the threats of Nero, free from the persecution and free from the suffering. And I can't blame them. I would, too. Perhaps they were thinking, though, that freedom would be found in the absence of this persecution, in the absence of any suffering. Were they willing to do anything to avoid the suffering? Well, to do so would require them reject, rejecting Christ, their Savior. It would require them rejecting the great high priest, the one who said the freedom in him would be true freedom indeed. See, because they were getting persecuted because of Christ. And so... If you remember, they were wanting to go back. They were wanting to go back to the ways of the Old Covenant. And throughout, probably from chapter 7 on, we see this, this theme of the great high priest. And they're wanting to go back, and we're seeing how the Old Covenant was obsolete. And again, he says it here in chapter 10. In fact, we're going we're gonna to go over chapter 1 through, or, sorry, verses 1 through 18 a little more quickly. And then we're going to delve into 19 through 25 together. So the writer to the Hebrews was urging them to pursue a greater enduring freedom in Christ. A freedom that no government, no emperor could provide or take away. A freedom that would make them free indeed. Freedom from their slavery to sin and freedom from a guilty conscience. He starts off this chapter with why they shouldn't go back to the Old Covenant. And Angela read this. We see verses 1 through 4. The Old Covenant was obsolete, but it was also spent as a reminder, or used, God used it as a reminder of their guilt. Look at this. For since the law was, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect, make clean, make complete those who draw near, those who come near to the presence of God. Remember, they could not go into the presence of God, but they could come near to the tabernacle. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If these, if these offerings were, were going to do the trick, if they was going to make everybody clean and whole, then they would have been done, but they weren't. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So you see, this old covenant, these old covenant sacrifices were used as a reminder of sins. Remember I used that analogy of, of the Old Testament sacrifices as, a, as writing a check and using a bankrupt bank account for those checks. Those checks are worth nothing more than the paper on which they're written. And those checks, those sacrifices were made every year knowing that there was nothing in the bank account. But God promised that he would supply the payment in full for all of those checks, for all of those sacrifices that were being made, all of the sins that were committed. God promised that he would pay in full, but it was not being done by the blood of bulls and goats. That was looking ahead. It was pointing ahead, reminding them of the sinful, of, of the guilty conscience they had of the sins that they have committed. The old covenant and the sacrifices were serving as a reminder of sins. And then he goes on in verse 5 through 7. 
to say in the Old Covenant, in the law, it is written in Psalm 40 here that freedom is coming, that the payment is coming. And he sees Christ as speaking in, this, in Psalm 40. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Again, burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure because they don't bring purity. They don't bring cleansing from sin. But Christ said, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. And then once more, if we skip down to verse 11, he says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. You see how often, how many times he's repeating this theme, that these sacrifices cannot take away sins. But, verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. You see, no priest, no high priest, every year they would go in on Yom Kippur into the Holy of Holies and make that sacrifice, present that offering to God for the sins of the people. But they never sat down. Do you know why? Because it was never finished. The work was never complete. The sacrifice was never sufficient. So they never sat down. And what he's saying is the work that Christ did it was finished, and he could rest because the work was completed. And as we continue on in this, we, we go to verse 14. He says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit, again, bringing out the Holy Spirit as the writer of the word of God here, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. In those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. This is Jeremiah 31. He's talking about the new covenant. The old covenant, even during the time of the old covenant, God was telling them a new covenant is coming. A new cleansing, something complete and perfect that will be done once and for all. And it was going to be done through Christ. And notice here, he says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. You know where the law was before that? It was in the ark. It was in the ark in the Holy of Holies. But God said, everyone is going to have access to it because I'm going to write it on my people's minds and on their hearts. I'm going to give it to you. And it's going to be in you. And he adds this in 17. And I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Remember, the old covenant sacrifices were to fill our memories, to remind us of how sinful we are, to remind us of the debt, the ongoing debt that, we're, that, we're, that, that we have uh, toward God. And then when Christ does his work and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and the law is in our hearts and our minds, and the forgiveness is complete, then God says, I will not remember those sins because they're paid. Because they're paid in full, there's no more bankruptcy Everything is paid. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin, praise God. Now we jump down to, to verse 19. And he says, therefore, in light of all of this, brothers and sisters, 
In light of the power of Christ's sacrifice, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, what he's doing here is he's stating now, because of what Jesus did, here are the benefits that you have because of the work of Christ. And since we have this, one of them is the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way, how that he opened up to us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, through his suffering flesh. Remember when he was crucified and when he died, the veil tore, breaking down the barrier between God and his people. Remember that tabernacle had that thick veil, and that veil was hard to get past. The only one that went in there was the high priest, but now after Christ did his work, that veil was torn, and access was granted to the presence of God. Amen. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he says this, since we have this confidence this Greek word is, is parousia, and it's this open, this freedom. That's why I use the word freedom for this, for this uh, uh, title today. It's this freedom that we have now to enter into the presence of God, to stand before this living God, to, to stand before the fearful Yahweh, not as a judge, not as a consuming fire, but now we stand before him as a loving father. In his presence, there's no fear of death, no judgment or guilt. We are free to be in the presence of God, naked, exposed, and unashamed. To repeat Paul's words in, in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the work he has done. Now recognizing and embracing that freedom, this confidence, the writer goes on to say, since you have been given this freedom, since you have these benefits from the work of Christ, now here's how to apply it. Now, here's how you live in that freedom. He says three things. This is great. I mean, there, there, there are three applications here in this passage. Draw near to the presence. Hold fast to the promise and cheer on to perseverance. Draw near to the presence. Verse 22, he says, since you have these things now, let us. And he's including himself here. I like that. He doesn't say you draw near. He's saying let us as God's people draw near. This is a very common word, this Greek word for, for draw near. It's a very common word. It's used throughout the New Testament and other Greek texts. And that's wonderful because it's just a very casual coming near. Just coming near to someone, coming near to anyone. One great application or uh, example of this is Matthew 5.1. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Jesus, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. They didn't come to him in fear. They wanted, to, they wanted to know him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to, to hear his teachings. Perhaps they wanted to be healed by him. But they came to him. They had no fear. Remember, the old, the, the old covenant, the whole thing with the tabernacle was about the people keeping distance and the high priest coming into the presence it was all about keeping their distance, even at the threat of death. Remember, the, the high priest going into the tabernacle, going into the Holy of Holies, it was not a happy time for him. It was a very somber and fearful time because he might die. That's how dangerous it was to be in the presence of the Almighty, the most holy God, because nobody was holy. Nobody could stand in God's presence. 
But now, Almighty God has an open door policy. And I don't say that flippantly. He has an open door policy, and that is what the writer to the Hebrews is telling his people. He's saying God has an open door policy. Christ is the open door. Christ even said that. John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There is a relationship of going in and out of the door of Christ, into the presence of God, being with him, finding pasture, resting. Likewise, in, in, in Matthew, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I'm gentle and I'm lowly of heart. So we're, we're told to draw near. We see that we can draw near. How do we draw near? A few things here. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times. To pray at all times, to bring our requests to God, to make our requests known to God is what Paul says in Philippians. We can also follow the example of Jesus who went off to be alone so that he may pray and be and commune with his Father. The way Jesus communed and stayed in contact with his Father was through prayer. He calls on us to pray to him to ask whatever we need, but to ask him and to come to him in prayer. Secondly, we do it through the word. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He is the word of God. The way we know him is, is the way he communicated to his people through the word. It's the very thing that the writer of Hebrews starts off with that the word of God came through the prophets, now comes through the Son. What better way to get to know the Son, to draw near to the Son, to, to, than to know what he is telling us, to know how he wants us to live, to know his heart, to draw near to him through prayer and through the word. And there's worship, gathering, doing what we're doing today. Raising our voices, lifting our voices in songs, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging one another, hearing our voices, just hearing our voices singing to the Lord is an encouraging thing. For those who are low in heart right now, hearing somebody's testimony, hearing the word of God proclaimed, hearing people pray is encouraging, is drawing us near into the presence of God. And God said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst, standing in the presence of our Father. Also through the sacraments, Receiving the sign and seal of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. We saw the Old Covenant was a reminder of our sinfulness. The New Covenant, our sacraments are a reminder of our forgiveness. Of our, clean, of our, of our purity in Christ. Of what he did for us. Paul even says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we say it every week, we proclaim the, the death of our Lord Jesus until he comes. So we draw near to him. How do we draw near to him? We draw near to him in faith, believing. He says in verse 22, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. When we come to him, we come to him believing that we can come to him. Believing in the work that Christ has done. Here's this word again, parousia, coming in full assurance in this confidence and freedom but we come to him in faith, believing. What do we believe? With our hearts sprinkled clean 
from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Believing that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know what's really neat about these two verbs, sprinkled and washed, is that they're in the perfect tense in the Greek. Perfect tense in the Greek means it refers to a completed action. This completed action, it's done, and it's got ongoing results. So the completed action, and then the results continue. The other thing that's really amazing and comforting, I hope, is it's in the passive voice. The passive voice means it's being done to us. It's being done to the heart. It's being done to the body. So what's being said here is our bodies, that we have been sprinkled clean by our Lord from an evil conscience, not of our doing, by his doing. We're passive in all of this. And that our bodies are washed have been washed and continue in that cleanliness, continue in that purity. Sprinkled, just like the priest would go in and sprinkle the furnishings and, and, the, and, and the people when he's doing his sacrifice, sacrificial work on the Day of Atonement. Everything had to be sprinkled with blood to be pure, but that had to be done every single time. This is done one time, and Christ did it to us, sprinkled us with his blood, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed could be referring to baptism, being washed with the water of the word. Could also be the ceremonial washings of the priest before he went into the holy place. They had to be clean and ceremonially clean, but they were never completely clean until Christ did his work. But this is the work of Christ. He did it to us, he did it for us, in order that we can continue with him. Now, before we go any further, do you realize the importance of this and what this means to us in the gospel of Christ. One of the greatest descriptions of the freedom we have in Christ and the work of Christ that, that, that I've enjoyed reading is Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. And in his introduction, he says this, amongst other things, but there are a few things that I want to point out. Luther says, but this most excellent righteousness... That of faith, God imputes, he puts it in us. God imputes to us through Christ. It's neither political or ceremonial, or it's not even from obedience to God's law, nor is it from any good works. It is quite the opposite. That is to say, it is a passive, it is passive, whereas the others are active. When we try to work and do our good works, that's active. We're trying to act to do our good works. He's saying this is passive. Now hear this, we do nothing in this matter. We do nothing. We give nothing. We give nothing to God, but simply receive and allow someone else to work in us. That is God, and that is the gospel, and that is the good news of what the writer is telling the Hebrews He's saying, you've been sprinkled, you've been washed, and it's not your doing. You didn't give anything, you didn't do anything. Now, that's bad news if you think you're pretty good. But good news when you realize the truth of your heart. 
when you realize the truth of your sinfulness. And great news if you see how low you are and feel like nothing. Imagine that the God of the universe came down and cleansed you and washed you clean once and for all. And the effects continue. And you receive the love of the Lord Jesus by faith. Remember what Jesus said in, in, in John 15. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's from the words of Christ. There's nothing you can do. I do it all, he says. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this great news, this great promise? Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. He also says this in, in chapter 4 also. Verse 14, let us hold fast to this confession. <clears throat> this, this, this word really is, is referring to keeping, holding tightly, hanging on to. One use of this word is in Luke 4.42, and it says, And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place, going to be with his father. And the people sought him and came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them. That's the word right there. They would have kept him from leaving them. You see what they were wanting to do? They loved Jesus. They wanted him around. They wanted to keep him if they could. That's what's going on here with, with our confession, with this hope that we have. Let us, hold, let us want to keep it. And he says, let us, keep, let us hold fast to it without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Some reality there, huh? The reality is it's not always easy to hold fast to the promise. It's not always easy to hold fast to the hope that we have. It's great to hear it. It's great to hear it and hear. It's great to read it and to, and to have times of just realizing, yes, yes. But there are times when we waver. There are times when the, when the storms come and when the trials come and when the struggles come and the doubt comes and we begin wavering and we want to let go. He says to hold fast, hang on, hang on. The hope is good, even if it seems like the promise is not being fulfilled. Even if it seems like the hope is gone, it's good. And it will endure. Luther says, continuing on with some of the Luther quotes out of this introduction, he says, even Christians themselves do not thoroughly understand this righteousness and can hardly grasp it in their temptations. Therefore, it must be diligently taught and continually practiced. So, how do we hang on to this? Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We need each other. Left alone, God didn't create us to be alone. He didn't create the church to be at home watching it on a camera. I understand we have to do that right now. I have no criticism about that. 
but we all know this is not the way it's supposed to be. That we should be here together, and I pray for the day we could all be back together because we need each other, because the Lord has called us to be together. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need the reminders from one another. We need the reminders when we are down that the ones who are holding fast can remind us, hey, hang in there. The Lord is good. The Lord has washed you. The Lord has cleansed you. That work never goes away. Hang in there. I'm praying for you. What can I do for you? Because we are one body in Christ. It's what Paul taught us. We are one body with many members. And we're interdependent on one another. The same way my body and your bodies are. All of our parts are, are dependent on one another. We're given to each other for this, for this purpose of encouraging, challenging, helping, loving, working. Think about the picture that Paul paints in Ephesians 4. When the body is working perfectly together, when all the joints and sinews and muscles and everything work together, then we're rolling, glorifying God together, holding one another up, holding on to one another. So how do we do this? Well, we have our gatherings. We have this, our Sunday morning worship. We also have prayer groups. Because here you can't maybe get into a real intimate discussion about your struggles, but that's why we have small groups. That's why we have these prayer groups that most of them meet Wednesday night and, and, uh, the, or, or other nights. And if you're not in one, please see me or see Doug. Because it's good to be with one another. Have some kind of a small group where you can share your struggles, where you can pray for one another and, and enter into one another's lives. Because that is how God has called us. There are other prayer groups. There's a prayer group that meets every morning before, every Sunday morning before worship that Eva and Stephen have started. Feel free just to walk in and pray with them or to tell them how they can pray for you. They would love to, they would love to meet you. They would love to hear that. Bible studies. There are numerous Bible studies going on in our fellowship. And I'm thankful for those. In those Bible studies, we hear the word and we challenge each other in the word together but encouraging one another. And then he says, when the day is near. Encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Remember last week we talked about those who are eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus. He keeps that in front of us. The day is drawing near. It's nearer every day. And one commentator, Ray, Raymond Brown, says, when the day is here, rather than near, we shall all wish we had done so much more. Let's not forget one another. And let's not forget pursuing one another and loving on one another, that we may encourage one another to persevere. Luther says this about freedom. Luther says, not the freedom given by the emperor. The freedom we have in Christ is not the freedom given by the emperor, but that with which Christ has made us free. Freedom from God's everlasting wrath. And when and where is this done? 
It's done, he says, in the conscience, inside. Our freedom stays there and goes no further. I'm inserting here, it outlasts persecution. It outlasts physical suffering. It outlasts addiction and poverty and brokenness and loneliness because it stays with you. It's a freedom that we have. It stays there and goes no further for Christ has made us free, not civilly, not physically, but divinely. And that is to say we are made free in such a way that our conscience is free and quiet, not fearing God's future wrath. Who can describe our state when we are assured in our heart that God neither is nor will be angry with us, but will forever be a merciful and loving father to us for Christ's sake? Brothers and sisters, I know that all of our consciences are quiet and peaceful right now because of this good news. But they can be. And I pray that the Lord would work in all of us to give us more peace, more comfort, and more encouragement in the words that he has given to us and in the work that he has performed for us. Now may we confidently draw near to his presence. May we as the body of Christ hold fast to the promise and to the hope that he has given to us. And may we stir one another to perseverance in our times of wavering so that we may enjoy a peaceful conscience through true freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this freedom. Lord, so many times our hearts are stirred, our consciences are stirred. We don't feel free. Remind us that the work that you did in us is once and for all. Help us to rest in you. Lord, calm our hearts and remind us of the good news of Christ's death and sacrifice one time and the benefits of the freedom that we have in you. Thank you for those things. It's in Christ's name. Amen.